It is good to be with my family today, to see your faces, um, especially today. Um, usually back there, I would be able to see my wife looking at me, but today she's not with me. Uh, she's grieving right now because she lost her sister last week. It's been a hard time for her and her family, and I've been back and forth to Mississippi with me and my kids. But one thing that was my anchor was this church, your prayers, your service to me. And I want to thank our church for praying because your prayers were felt. We experienced the comfort of the Lord, and we trust that God will continue to comfort us during this time, particularly my wife. And as we just enter into this time, I want to enter in time with just a prayer. Let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you. God, you've been gracious to me. All of us, really, Lord, this whole week. Though we might not recognize your hand, God, you have been good to us. Your goodness has been there. Lord, as I even told my son, Lord, if there's an ounce of goodness, if there isn't even a smidge of smile in life, it is worth living and living unto you, God. So, Father, I pray as I speak to these people under the sound of my voice, that they would experience the joy of your leading, the joy of your spirit, the goodness of your love toward them that would mobilize their hearts to give more and more to you of themselves. Father, hide me behind your cross. Guide me, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you guys know, we've been in this series. Actually, Pastor Richard started this series last week. Um, we're going through our core values. And, and we, we've titled this sermon series, For the Culture. Amen. And the reason why we did that is because I think we've got to realize that because we are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us uh, that if, we're, if we are in Christ, that we are new creations. Amen? And because we are new creations, that means we have a new way of living, a new way of experiencing life, a new way of experiencing one another. We have a new culture. And so the, the reality of being a Christian means you, have a, you are a new creation and you have a new culture, culture. And for us here at Cornerstone, we want to embrace the culture that God has called us to. We want us to, to see where we are at, see, see, see where we are individually and collectively and trust God for where we're going. Amen or oh me? Trusting him to shape us into the church he desires us to be. As we're going through the series, even on Wednesday nights, we're praying and fasting as a church. And we invite you out, particularly to Wednesday nights too, so you can be a part of what God is doing here at Cornerstone. But we're asking God to do something in our hearts. We're asking him to, to change us into the church he wants us to be. But then also we're asking him to strip away anything that's keeping us from being who he wants us to be. And so that's what we want to do. We want to call our church into realizing this new culture today. And so as we turn to our Bibles in Mark 8, you can turn to your Bibles in Mark 8, starting at verse 1. Today, what I'm going to be talking about is our second core value, courageous servanthood. And so as we look at Mark, uh, you can stand now for, for the reading of God's word. When you get there, say amen. Praise God. And it says this, in those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He called to his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them have come a long way. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? He asked them, seven, they said. I feel like that's how they said it. That's why I put the emphasis on there. He commanded the crowd to sit down 
on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said, these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets uh, of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat, and his disciples went to the district. And y'all going to help me with this one. Dalmenthua. I think that's how you say it. You're going to have to help me with that. I am bad. I have butchered that. I even listened to it phonetically. Um, why don't you pray with me real quick, just real quick. Father, um, bless your people with your word. This is your word for your people. Let us obey your word because you, God, gave it to us so that we would know your heart and so we would experience your heart and we would live out your heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may take your seats. Most of y'all don't know this about me, but I'm going to let you know I'm the youngest of four children. And so what that means is I was the baby of the family. That's what they called me. Amen. I hate that language, but they called me the baby. I was the youngest. I like saying the youngest, but they called me the baby, right? So what that meant was, y'all know what it meant. I got everything I wanted. Amen. <laughs> but my, but, my, but that, that doesn't just mean I got everything I wanted. It also means everything I got, I got taken away from me. Amen. I, I remember growing up, my mama would cook all the time. And I remember, like, she would call us down. And, man, I, if I didn't get down there first... I wouldn't get anything to eat. My brother would have this big old bowl of uh, chicken and dumplings. Amen. 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 And I'll have this little, you know, one dumpling, one piece of little chicken. You know what I'm saying? As a 10-year-old, I don't care what you say. That ain't going to fill me up. You know what I'm saying? I got a lot going on here, so I know it ain't going to fill me up now. And so I remember growing up having sort of the scarcity mentality, always trying to hoard things for myself. Amen. I remember just like, man, always trying to be first, but also keeping things that I didn't really need, right? And so I remember even having this scarcity mentality, it followed me into my adulthood, even into my walk with the Lord. I always felt like I didn't have enough. I always felt like I didn't have enough to to serve God. You know, I always thought I had to hoard books, go to to the latest conferences, go do all these things and and get all this information because I felt like I was inadequate to serve my Lord. And I don't want to diss any of this stuff because some trainings are good and serving God is good and and, uh, like, you know, and nothing's wrong with trying to figure out how to serve God and in the ways that God wants you to serve him. But they never gave me the confidence that I thought they would to serve God. No matter what I did, I, it, it didn't, didn't re- register in my heart. It didn't make me want to do more. I actually sat on more things, and, you know, and I was getting spiritually obese in some sense. Let me ask a question. What do you think you need to serve God that he hasn't given you yet? If you evaluated your life right now, I bet you would probably be surprised how much God has already given you, how much he's already entrusted you with, but you still think, if I have somebody disciple me, right? If I, have, if I have somebody walk alongside me, if I have somebody do all these things for me, then I would look like God and I would desire to live for him. And here's the thing. All those things are helpful. I won't diss any of those things. I love a culture of discipleship within the church. But in my 18 years of experience, a full-time ministry, this is what it's taught me, that the thing that, that is most crucial to you about living a life of courageous servanthood is realizing who your God is and walking with him intimately. That is the catalyst for our service, not more trainings, not more developments. It's knowing who our God is, knowing that he is with us. We are so busy living with a scarcity mentality. We can't see all that God has provided us. Friends, there is no mystery to the Christian life like you think it is. There's no key that you need to unlock it. The Holy Spirit has always been the key. And as we walk intimately and closely with God, and as we devour his word, living biblically rooted, as Pastor Richard preached last week, our lives will start to take shape. Friends, in God's presence, you have everything you need. So God wants us today to to remind us, you and me, if we are to become a church that serves courageously, then we must realize two things. The inspiration to serve comes from Jesus. And Jesus gives you everything you need 
to serve. Today's text, as we saw, is from the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a very interesting because it's the shortest of all the Gospels, right? It's an action-packed book that we see Jesus' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. The book's focal point is Jesus' ministry of service. Later in chapter 10, Jesus defines his ministry. He says this in verse 45. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus described all of his ministry here on earth. Throughout this book, Jesus is serving. He spends less time teaching. There's not a lot of teaching in this book. There's a lot of miracles. He's, he's serving people. And his disciples are on that journey with him. In this book, they, they, they gave, the theologians gave him a title, The Suffering Servant. That's what they call Jesus. And Jesus calls his disciples into a life of service. He invites them to take up their cross and follow them, all for the sake of his kingdom. As we get to our text today, Jesus helps his disciples understand what it means to serve courageously. Inspiration to serve comes from Jesus, meaning his presence gives us the compassion to serve and the willingness to sacrifice. Verse 1 tells us, man, here go Jesus again, another large crowd around him. He's doing some stuff. And if, you, if, you, if you're familiar with this story, Feeding 4,000, you recognize that in Matthew 15, it, it, it parallels this, this, this passage. In other words, it's the same event. And in Matthew, it tells you more details about what Jesus was doing during this time. And it says Jesus was healing people. Jesus was caring for the needs of people. He was healing the blind, the disabled. People were able, who couldn't walk, could walk. People who couldn't speak, could speak. And then here's what Jesus is doing. As he's doing all of this, he's noticing something. He's noticing the crowds. And then there's this outburst that comes from Jesus, and his disciples are, are there overhearing him. This outburst was not him teaching anything per se. Jesus was sharing what was going on inside of him. He was so overwhelmed by looking at what was going on with the people around him. He had so he just, it, he burst with a response. He said this, he said, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send uh, them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long way. In this text, Jesus is processing out loud what he's experiencing in his body, what pe what's going on in people's suffering. He's seeing the crowds. He's experiencing the crowds. He he's expressing what, he, what, it, what it's like seeing the needs of people and how it's impacting him. Now, here's the thing. Jesus could have kept this to himself. But he was so overwhelmed with the needs of people. He saw them. He saw what they were going through. And he couldn't contain what he had to say. Have you ever been there when something's bothering you so bad that you just couldn't hold your mule? Amen. That you just had to speak up. You saw an injustice. You saw something going on in somebody else's life. You saw something happening. And you just had to speak up. You wanted to go to the defense of somebody. You had to say something. You couldn't just sit there. That's what Jesus was experiencing. Jesus was revealing his heart to his disciples. Jesus wants them to notice something. Jesus wants them to, to, to experience what, what he's experienced. He wants their hearts to move like his heart was moved. Jesus' desire is for his heart to become his disciples' heart, our heart. In his presence, we are prompted to see people and experience people the way Jesus experiences them. If we are people intimately connected to God or to Jesus, if we are people who are walking with Jesus, then what you'll notice is his heart will become our heart. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, he says, it was prophesied when Jesus comes, he will give us a new heart. And that heart is the heart that he has. There's nothing that Jesus wants more for you than to have his heart. To see things the way he sees things. To experience life the way he experiences life. What I'm saying to be in Christ means Jesus has filled our hearts with his love. I love what this quote says. I'm going to repeat it. Dr. Martin Luther King, since we're on the, the cusp of uh, uh, MLK Day, he said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. In his presence, our hearts are aligned to Jesus's. 
It's an invitation to experience and see life the way he does. This, this word compassion, though, uh, is, is important because this is what he says, I have compassion. The word doesn't seem that deep on face value, but if you look at it, it, it says a lot. In the Greek, the first part of that word, compassion, means internal organs. It means your gut. It means you're feeling something so deeply that it's disturbing your bowels. You're feeling it in your body, right? See, you know, when we describe our emotions, right? See, back then, when they talked about emotions, the emotions didn't come from necessarily your heart. It came from the stomach. That's what they believed. And so when we talk about, like, you know, when we feel feelings of love, what do we say? We have butterflies in our stomach, amen? When we feel feelings of disgust, we say, man, it's turning my stomach, amen? When we get a hunch about something, when somebody, you know, man, they, they, they cheating at spades, right? You be like, you know what I'm saying? Man, I got a gut feeling, homeboy, cheating, home. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Most of the emotions we are feeling, anger, anxiety, and grief, where do we feel it at? In our stomach. Jesus is experiencing the beautiful ache of compassion. Compassion is about feeling love and sympathy so strong that you feel it in your body. You're overwhelmed by it. You can't just sit there and watch people suffering. You have to do something about it. You can't just watch people dealing with life issues and problems. You feel like you are compelled to respond. Compassion is about being compelled to respond to the needs of others. Desmond Tutu said it like this, and I love this quote. Frequently people think compassion and love are merely sentimental. No, they are very demanding. If you're going to be compassionate, be prepared for action. This is what Jesus is helping his disciples experience. He's asking, are you moved by what you're seeing? Are you feeling the brokenness of the world and of humanity? Are you seeing the pain and the desperation these people are experiencing? These people have followed me to this remote place, been with me three days. They're starving. Do you see their hunger? Because that's what compassion should be doing in your life right now. If you are with me, then you would be experiencing people the same way I do. Not with like, hey, man, they better go ahead. Hey, I think they better dip because it's hungry. They better go a place to stay, man, because no, you are the one that provides them a place to stay. You are the one that provides them the things to eat. He's saying, how can you just sit there and see people who are suffering and lost, people who are, who are in need of healing and care and not respond? Jesus is asking the disciples, what are you feeling what is going on in your body? Because you should be feeling what I'm feeling. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. When you look around, you, around this room, when you look at our, the, the, the makeup of our church, when you look at the makeup of our neighborhood, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing when you see the needs of others? Are you seeing them with the, 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 the human eyes? Or are you seeing them with the, the compassionate eyes of Jesus? Compassion, should be, you should be seeing them with a compassion that is compelling you to respond to their needs. As a pastor, I, unfortunately and unfortunately, it feels like sometimes I sit in the seat where I have to see people. I have to experience them. I have to live lives with people and see their suffering, see everything that they're going through. I see so many people in need of care, people who are struggling with some area of their lives. I see marriages struggling constantly. Even in the life of our church, I see husbands being so terrible to their, to, their, to their wives that they're hurting them so bad they don't even realize what they're doing. I see wives being so, so critical and, and, and angry towards their husband and malicious to their husbands that they don't know they're deflating their... And I see, I see so much gaslighting in this church that it could set this whole mother on fire. Am I speaking to you or am I speaking to myself? Because I get to see it. I'm firsthand seeing people struggling emotionally, feeling hopeless, broken, seeing the depression of even members here in our church. I sit there and I see it and, and I'm moved. I wonder if you're seeing it. Do you see it? And if you do, what is usually your response? We so easily see people's problems as other people's problems. But here's the thing about Jesus. He made other people's problems his problem. 
If you are aware of another person's suffering, why have you not done something about it? Why haven't you responded to it? Are you just sitting on your hands? Doing nothing. Do you even know the needs of the people of our church and our community? Is your heart burdened and filled with compassion? And how are you responding? Are you willing to speak up? Are you willing to step in? Jesus is teaching his disciples the heart of Christianity. It's about serving the needs of others. It's about being so overwhelmed with love and sympathy that you see and respond to the, to the needs of others. This is how we serve courageously when we keep ourselves in the presence of Jesus and his heart is our heart. What I want us to understand is to be in Jesus' presence, to walk with Jesus, means that you are compelled to serve others, that this is the DNA of anyone who walks with Jesus. We give ourselves to a life of courageous servanthood. The inspiration to serve our Lord comes from understanding he, he is with us. And he's given us this heart of compassion. Church, here's the thing that I don't like seeing, and I see it so much, is that people will hold a video camera up and tape something instead of stepping in. They'll post it online. People are getting shot and murdered. I understand that's dangerous, but no one's saying anything sometimes. You'll see a woman getting beaten by her, her boyfriend, and we just videotape it. I ain't gonna lie. I, did, I do some crazy stuff. I want y'all to know that, right? I remember I was one time running in the West End, and I remember I was running. I was going for a run. It don't look like I've been running for, for a while, but I, you know, bear with me. I do that sometimes. But as I was running, I was running around uh, Herman J. Russell's track. I came down, and I heard a woman screaming. And me, being from Cleveland, Ohio, something about me just got real bold, and I saw this dude pushing the girl down. I ran over to him and said, hey, bro, what you doing? Like, I was about to, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't think, don't think, I won't. I might lose, but don't think I won't. I couldn't just sit there. I saw a man beating a woman. And I tried, I didn't, I didn't go over there trying to harm him. I went over there, brother, come here. Come, hey, come to my house. Come sit with me. You don't have to do this. That's what I said to him. Police came no, no less than five seconds later, arrested that brother. And I still think about it today, if he would have just came home with me. I think about it. So easily we don't understand that Jesus just doesn't want us sitting by, hiding behind a, a, a phone or a honey, just posting things on IG and thinking that's our duty to others. If we care about people and people are real, we put ourselves in proximity of the needs of others. Jesus was in their lives. He was walking with them. He was experiencing people. We need to experience people. Jesus presents us with this opportunity to, 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 for his presence to be lived through us. That we would bring his presence. And here's the thing. If we're going to minister to real people, if we're going to see people's real needs, then there has to be real presence. Years ago, we started a, a Rites of Passage program. It was really started with one brother's passion, compassion, really. He saw the needs of the, the youth in the community. He saw all these young boys breaking into cars. And he said, we got to do something about it. So members, many, even many of us in this room, rallied around that, became mentors. A, a sister came in after he left, and, and she took it over. And she was running with it strong, even started a, 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 a division for young ladies. And then the pandemic, the pandemic happened. And you know, the question I keep asking myself is, why hasn't it started back up? What, what, I know that a few people had to carry the load, and it was hard for them, but where is the, the, the compassion in our church? I share this because the church who is truly experiencing Jesus' presence, then our lives will be filled with compassion that fuels us to go seek opportunities to serve others in our community. Where is your compassion, church? Where is our willingness to sacrifice and suffer on the behalf of others to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations to enter the unknown and trust God? If we are walking with Jesus, there should, have never been, there should never have to be a campaign to recruit volunteers to serve others. Man, y'all like things that look real attractive in order to get motivated to serve. 
That is not how Jesus motivated them. He showed them where the need was. He said, are you feeling what I'm feeling? Because if you're not, you're not walking with me. Why do we have to have things look attractive? Logos, catchphrases, to make you feel like, man, this is worth my time, my energy, my talents. Because that's not what Jesus did. That's not how he lived his life. We don't need cool marketing. Compassion should flow out of us to serve our community because we know that Jesus is with us and that we're walking with him. Don't get me wrong. We have some faithful volunteers. So I don't want to just be like, I'm just, you know, hitting us with some shots. Reggie Gillespie has served five years as our ministry director and never got paid an ounce. We've got other people who have served in our church at a capacity and not getting paid. I can, I can name a list and I won't because I'm going to forget somebody, but still, I see people serving. I, I, I see what Olivia's doing, what, uh, um, uh, uh, a minister justice. It's on, she, that sister got a job. She got other things to do. I see so many few people getting behind these efforts, and I'm wondering, what is going on with our church? And I believe it's because, and I'm going to say this, many of us aren't walking with Jesus. You might think you are, but I hope God gives you a reality check and sobers you up to know walking with Jesus means courageous servanthood. But I got to give a shout out to them, them folk next door. Why? Because we have a kids ministry that don't just sit around babysitting y'all kids, not my kids either. They're over there teaching our kids the gospel to understand who Jesus is and what it means to live out our faith. And they do that week after week, and we can only, we can barely cover three Sundays a month. Where's the compassion? I got my 13-year-old boy right now serving. Right now, Josiah is over there serving. I didn't make him serve. He was filled with compassion. He saw the need, and he answered it. 13 years old, out of the mouth of babes, amen. God has given you the capacity for compassion. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to serve others? But here's the thing. Sometimes what keeps us from really, uh, it's not that we lack no compassion, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, there's some, there's some dynamics that are going on in our own hearts. In Mark 6, we see a similar instance where Jesus feeds 5,000, but Jesus doesn't prompt the disciples who brought up the, like the disciples brought up the need before Jesus had to say anything to them. They were only with Jesus. These, these people were only with Jesus one day, but the disciples was like, yo, Jesus, these people hungry. But in this chapter, after being with Jesus three days, the disciples were reluctant to notice the needs of the crowds. So what's going on? How were the disciples that reluctant, seeing all of what Jesus was doing, healing the sick, doing all that stuff, and they did not notice the crowd's hunger? One commentary said it like this. He says, because the crowds in Mark 6 and 8 are not the same. He said in Mark 6, there was a good number of Hebrews in that crowd. And in Mark 8, there were a significantly, proportionally greater amount of Gentiles. Oh, there was bias. Their bias prevented them from serving others. They didn't, they, they looked at people and they had biases. And so here's the thing I want us to be honest about. We all have biases, don't we? To, that prevents us from serving people the way God has called us to serve them. And I'm going to be honest, like, we should be, they could be implicit and explicit. But I know even for myself, and I want to be honest with myself, I have had biases that, that have stunted my ability to, to uh, care for the needs of others. I've allowed the way think people, like some people groups, and maybe even some people, the way I've experienced them to stop me from loving them and serving them. Amen or oh me. Let's be honest, church, about who we are. Because there's biases that I know the church has. Let's, let, let's name some groups, the LGBTQ plus community. Violent offenders, right? People who have been incarcerated. Like, how about the homeless or the under-resourced communities? Because I'll tell you how I know there's bias here. Because many of those people aren't in this room. They're not in this room. And we don't have anything to serve these people. And these people are in our community. There's bias 
in us. Don't deny what's in you. Confess it and repent of it and walk with Jesus. I know some of y'all might be thinking, oh, hold on, Pastor Mo. It's hard for me to have compassion on others, especially if they hurt me or my people. Or it's, it's not wrong to have more compassion for my people than other people, right? Eh, I came across an article, right? Amen. <laughs> and in this article, it was a scientific study on empathy bias. This is a secular writing. And this is what it says. It, 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 it said that our biases impact how we show care and concern for a different people group, people from different backgrounds and communities. And here's what one quote I love about, I love, and I pulled out from that article. It says, when one group of people feels a decreased sense of empathy for another group and a high sense of empathy for their own, it implies less motivation to help people from, out, from the outside group, even when they're suffering. What this article is saying is that our biases comp compete with our ability to show compassion to others. This article was very insightful, but I disagree with her conclusion. She just said our brains need to correct themselves. I said, no, we have to have renewed brains. We have to have new hearts. We have to have a restored heart by Jesus. We need a Savior that gives us his heart. Jesus gives us the capacity for compassion. This means he gives us the courage and the capacity to serve others who we wouldn't naturally desire to serve. We see people with new eyes, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. But here's the thing. He gives us the capacity for compassion, and the way we foster and incubate that, 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 that passion or the compassion is to live in proximity and then have relationship with the people we lack compassion for. Look at your friend group. Who you hanging with? Look at our church, the makeup of our church. The only way you're going to foster compassion for that drug addict is if there's a relationship there. The only way you're going to foster compassion for, for that young boy that's, that's trapping next door is if you speak to him and get to know him. Isn't that what Jesus' life shows us? If we have his heart, we move toward even the hardest people to serve. Remember, despite who you were, all the evil that you have done, all the things that, that go on in your life, God, God sent his son full of compassion to die for you. You didn't meet the mark. Jesus made sure that, that, he had, that he would come and die on the cross so that you would have new life. As we look at a church that serves Christ, we need to experience life the way Jesus did and not live comfortable lives, but sacrifice even our, our comforts for others. Yeah, yeah, that's not the only thing that's going on. Jesus is trying to help them experience them. He wants his disciples' heart to grow, not in just in compassion, but in, his, in their trust in him. The story goes on as the, as the disciples were struggling. We got to self-identify with, with these disciples because in verse 4 and 5, Jesus, after Jesus prompts them with compassion, here's their response. The disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? <laughs> All that arrogance, like, man, where are we going to go? How are we going to do this, Jesus? And Jesus was like, man, how many loaves you got, man? And they were like, seven. <laughs> Their response shows that they were struggling to realize who Jesus is. Isn't that interesting? Even though they have all the evidence to believe like, who Jesus is, it's not like Jesus wasn't doing miracle after miracle. Jesus was, was, was out there healing people. He was healing the blind. He was letting people see, right? Jesus just fed 5,000 in chapter 6. Literally, they were by the Sea of Galilee where they told Peter, let down your nets, and abundance of fish came. They saw Jesus walk on water and calm the seas. But here's the thing. I know I can recount all the goodness of God, not all of it, but a lot of the goodness of God that he's done for me. And I know if I, if I asked you, man, think about all the good things that God has done for you, how he showed up for you. I guarantee that you guys will be like, man, I, I'll lose count. But in the blink of an eye, when life throws at us what it feels like an impossible circumstance, we forget who is with us. We constantly forget that, that we carry Jesus' presence with us. As believers, we have to remember whose presence is in us. It's hard to see how God is going to make a way. It's hard to trust him for another miracle. Sometimes we just believe that God is not in the miracle business anymore. We doubt his hand. Listen, when faced with life or death circumstances, these disciples were, uh, it, it found it easy to focus on the circumstance versus the God who was with them in their struggle. 
But look at Jesus. He said, how many loaves you got? Jesus is asking them to trust him, to give him what they have, to see what he does with it. He is also asking them to sacrifice what they have for others. He wants them to see how their limitations, they want, he wants them to see their own limitations to ultimately see his unlimited power. Jesus is asking for their food, the stuff they about to grub on, right? They about to chow down. They're like, hey, man, we see, yeah, I feel you. You see all these people. So they, they need something to eat, Jesus. I feel what you're saying. Hey, I don't know how we're going to find food out here for all these people, but I know we got our loaves. <laughs> so they're looking at They're like, man, where that, where that little boy at in chapter 6 that we bought the food from? Hey, Jesus, can you like, make him magically appear or something? Here's the thing, y'all. Jesus is asking uh, uh, for us to give, us, to give him what we're, and, and be willing to sacrifice for the good and service of others. Jesus asked for their food. Jesus was asking them to trust in him, not just to sustain the needs of others, but to, to sustain their needs as well. The way you know that you are serving courageously is if, you're, if it's going to cost you something. And, put, and it puts you in a position where you're going to have to trust Jesus even in your experience because it's going to cost you so much that it might drain you. That's what type of sacrifice Jesus is calling us. The reality is if you're going to live for God, you're going to be asked to sacrifice something for others. And it might be time. It might be a treasure. And I'm not just talking about financially. What I'm talking about, maybe that vacation and lifestyle you're living Maybe you need to be willing to sacrifice the job that gives you financial security, but, it will but it's going to take away time for you to serve others in your community. Maybe it's a relationship God has asked you to get give up. That's causing you to lose focus on Jesus and encourage you to compromise. It's also going to be a talent where there might be some way that you got this, this dope talent where you can make millions of dollars, but God might ask you to give it away for free. Jesus doesn't want us to trust in our limited power and resources to take care of the great needs of others, but trust him with what we have to make it enough to take care of their great need and ours. That's the difference. We don't look to man-made institutions, and we don't look to man-made solutions necessarily. We trust in a God that takes our little faith and moves mountains. When it comes to meeting the needs of others, Jesus is never asking for us to depend solely on our own resources. He is asking us to trust him to use what we have in order to meet the needs of others. The food that they had, guess what, was provided by Jesus. Jesus never is asking to use anything he hasn't given you in the first place. Jesus wants you to embrace his greatness and, and capacity to heal the brokenness in our world. He wants you to remember he is with us and for us. We need to act like he is with us and for us then that means Jesus gives you everything you need to serve. What that means is that God takes what little resources we have and goes beyond our human capacity. One of my favorite historic basketball moments, and y'all know I'm a Cleveland Cavalier fan through and through. But man, it's MJ's flu game. Man, I love that. In 1997, game five, Jordan had what it seemed to be flu-like symptoms. It was actually food poisoning. The brother was eating something he wasn't supposed to. McDonald's, more than likely. <laughs> but, he was, but, he was, but he was tired. He was dehydrated. And I remember him pouring out a 38-point onslaught to win that game in the NBA Finals. And I sat there looking. I'm like, whoa, this is, I need to catch the flu. <laughs> Amen. But I remember the scene afterwards, uh, Scottie Pippen carrying him off after a dehydrated Jordan was just famished. And I looked at it, and I was like, man, dog, how could he do such a thing? Why would he sacrifice his body for this game? And so it makes, you know, those stories make us all wonder, man. How could somebody persevere and do so much and give themselves in that way? Christian, you don't have to wonder. Because Jesus has set the tone for us by going to the cross, and we model a crucified life. But not just that, Christian, you don't have to wonder how the impossible situations become possible because we know that all things are possible with God. But do we trust that? 
Verse 6 through 10 says this. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. So they served them, served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftovers. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat. And his disciples... Uh, with, with, his, uh, with his disciples, and he went to the district. I give that word I can't say. Amen. Jesus gave the disciples what they needed to serve others. And Jesus gives us what we need in order to serve others. Ultimately, we aren't the provider God is. He takes away, he takes what we have and makes it enough for others and ourselves. Jesus could have just served this crowd himself, couldn't he? Jesus could have said, hey, miraculous. That boy's doing miracles. Why couldn't he just put the, put the, the, the loaves in people's hands? But here's the thing. As a church, we have to know what it means to serve courageously. That means that we are always in partnership with God. We are always in partnership with God. What that means is God's glory and goodness is always promoted through human vessels. God's greatest depiction of his glory and power and goodness to this world comes through you. Through the lives of people who have been radically transformed by the gospel. By his grace, God wants nothing more than for us to use, uh, to use our lives as a vessel for his provision for, all, for humanity, a vessel of compassion and love. Many of us are confused about our purpose. I talk with many of our members, like, man, what's my purpose? I don't know, how to, I don't know where I should serve. I got I to gotta take a spiritual gifts test. Nothing wrong with that stuff. I got to know my Enneagram number. That's great, too. I ain't got no dissing. I ain't dissing none of that stuff. But guess what? It doesn't explain fully what God has called you to. When, when, when I, I got two categories I'm going to put before you. God has called you to his greater purpose and to your specific purpose for him. God has called you to, when you talk about greater purpose, God has called you to a ministry of promoting his love and gospel to the world. Matthew 28 makes it clear that God wants to us to make disciples, to usher in his kingdom by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that, has, that he has come and died for, uh, uh, in the place uh, of sinners. That now we can be adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are now vessels of his grace and mercy. Yet God has called us to specific places to serve, using our gifts and talents. But it all is to fulfill his greater purpose. Which is, that's why God has gifted you with the things he's gifted you with. That's why he's given you the things he's given you with. That's why he's made you into the way he's made you and formed you in the way he's formed you. To serve others. But all for his glory not your own. Whatever specific God, task God has assigned for you, it means, it's a means to fulfill his greater purpose for humanity in this church. As a church cornerstone, our courageous servanthood will always serve a greater purpose. No matter what ministries we start, it's all so that Jesus would ultimately be known and worshiped in our neighborhood. That's why we do what we do. At this moment, the disciples were asked to serve others, to bring God glory so that Jesus would be highlighted in worship. Well, that takes us trusting him, right? When we trust God with what he asked for, and, and, and then we watch what he does with it, what, what does that do? It encourages us to give him more of ourselves. Look, look at what the text says. Hey, yeah, he asked for the loaves, but he asked for the, did he ask for the fish? No. They saw what Jesus did with those loaves, that it was enough for them as well and for others to cover the needs. He saw how God blessed it. And guess what? Man, they were like, hey, we got some fish too. We got some sardines, bro. We got a can of sardines, homie. They offered them more. I, I remember. Let me just say this. I know from experience, faith in God grows as we trust God with our lives. And we see him take care of our needs and the needs of others. I remember when I first moved to Atlanta, and I, and I remember Richard gave me that call. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, Richard bossy, man. I'm going to be honest with you. He told me I was moving to Atlanta. God told me you're going to move to Atlanta. Man, I don't know, brother. Go on, get out of my faith. But I took that step of faith, and I did. And I remember stepping out not knowing how I was going to get paid. I didn't know where we were going to live. I was like, man, what did I do? I, lost, I left some security. I left some security. And I remember getting there, getting excited about, man, we're going to plant this unnamed church. And I was like, man, it's going to be dope that we plant this unnamed church. I don't know what it's going to be called, but, man, it's going to be dope. And I remember a few months into it, man, I was like, bro, hold on. What are we doing here? We ain't got no money, Richard, John. And 
I'm looking at them like, man, what are we doing? I started looking for jobs. I ain't gonna lie, I think Richard knows that. Maybe you don't, but hey, news to you today, Jeff, Richard. <laughs> news to you today. I was like, this, this church plant thing ain't gonna pay no bills, bro. But I remember getting cornered after a launch team meeting at Richard's house by Tripp, John, and Rich. And you know, they was like, Mo, is you in or aren't you in? They knew I was a little bit you know, on the edge and non-committal. And first of all, all that Cleveland raised up out of me. I was like, hey, bro, don't corner me, dog. Nobody puts baby in the corner. What's up? But the Spirit spoke. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I remember God saying to me, are you going to trust me? And it was then I said, I submitted to God. And even to those three brothers, I'm coming with y'all. And guess what? Year after year, we've never been in need. Year after year, the more I sacrifice for this church, the more God does in this church. The more and more you sacrifice for the people in this church, the people in this community, the more and more God will do in and through this church. But are you willing to trust him? I think you need to get Rich, Tripp, and John to come to your house and corner you too then. The reason some of us in this room are not experiencing the closeness of God's presence or a life full of faith and, and fruitful life is because we're resistant to put in God's hands the things he's already asked us for. Some of us think by the inspiration of a sermon, by going constantly to church, by being part of the Bible study or a small group, that's going to get us motivated to give our lives fully to the mission of Christ. Those are good things. I like saying things are good, but they're not necessarily the point. No, it's when you actively start to trust him with the things he already asked you for, for his glory. Let's not sit here and act like you're not giving up some stuff for God. Let's not, act, let's not sit here and act like he's told you to do something and you've been resistant to do what he's called you to do. Because you know it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you maybe a little bit of suffering. And guess what? That's what God is calling us to. Ser serving courageously means that we would trust God, give him everything he asked for to serve his kingdom and trust that both our needs and the needs of others would be satisfied. I love how this text ends. It says, they ate and were satisfied and they collected seven large baskets of leftovers. This boy, Jesus, got to look like big mama house. <laughs> it looked like a cookout. Boy, it looked like when Tim come over my house. Amen. Boy, always leaving with plates. I'm playing. That's really Andrew Hauser. That's a shot, Andrew. I got you, boy. Nah, but that's what it looks like. They got all these leftovers. One of the things we have to remember is what Jesus ultimately does is satisfy. One of the things I am reminded is that Jesus serves us by satisfying our deepest needs. The good news is that, is that most of us should know this, is that Jesus took the punishment we deserved. Our sin deserved eternal wrath or God's judgment and punishment. But there, there, was a, there was no escape from that, right? There's nothing we could have done. But God, being full of compassion, sent his son to satisfy his righteous judgment of our sin. Jesus satisfies God's wrath on our behalf. But here's the thing. But wait, there's more. Jesus didn't just stop there. The gospel doesn't only satisfy God's judgment or punishment for sin, but satisfies our deepest longings of our souls. That we are fully satisfied in Christ. That we don't need anything in this world to validate us or make us feel whole and complete. The reason why it's easy to serve God is because you're not trying to validate yourself. You're not looking, you're not living out of a scarcity mentality. You're looking out of an abundance mentality. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, this is what we're calling you to. Experience that you have been forgiven of your sins through Christ and, been, and you can, your life can be fully satisfied in Christ. The text goes on to say that it had collected seven large baskets of leftovers, right? And Jesus left his disciples with more than they came with. Don't be concerned what you're giving to Jesus because he's going to leave you with more than you came with. Don't be afraid of sacrificing for Jesus because he's going to leave you with more than you came with. I know this from firsthand. I know this from my, my own story. 18 years of full-time ministry, 
and I've never lacked anything. Now, I ain't get success. Your boy might have some nice shoes from time to time, amen, but uh, man, it didn't come with success or wealth. It came with peace, comfort from the king in harsh tribulations, care, friendships, family, family. I met the most beautiful woman in the world as I was doing ministry, Sanquanita LaShawn Buckhalter. Fine as ever, boy. Woo! Yeah, I hope she's watching this, girl. You know you're fine. And you know what? She, she was willing to give up everything for the sake of Jesus. That's what made her fine. That's a note to all of us, men and women. The hope I have, as it is promised, is not that I get everything on this side of heaven. It's what I get in eternity. I get to spend forever with Jesus. That's my prize for those who would sacrifice on this side of eternity. They get eternity with God. So I'm just going to close with a few things to think about as I close, even to pray through. First thing I want you to do is get in Jesus' presence. That's the most important thing for any Christian to do, to understand what it means to walk with Jesus, to, to get with groups of people who are, who are committed to being disciples of Jesus Christ and live with them and grow. My boy Jimmy over there, he said it the other day, one time we was talking to him, he's like, man, I grow when I'm around other people. And I agree with him. This is an OG to me. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, yeah, Jimmy, you're right, bro. That's what our church needs to be committed to, growing together in God's word in community, pushing one another, encouraging one another to get in Jesus' presence. The second one is serve God's church. Listen, friends, God has called you into this kingdom, but he's also called you into a family. And the best way we can, what we can do with our resources is to make sure that everybody in this room or on our membership roster, their needs are met. We can care for them. There are so many people I know holding people up right now who need help. What that means is also that serve in places like children's ministry, like the media team. Uh, uh, listen, he brought you into this place to serve. When there's emails sent out where people are in need, respond to those emails. And here's the thing, the best thing you can offer somebody is friendship. Somebody to come alongside and hold and care for. That's the best thing you can serve this church. Serve our community. Put yourself in proximity of others in our community. Participate in our, our outreaches. Herman J. Russell Middle School and Minister Justice. Partner with God to bring him glory. Bring his glory to others. Search out ways you can serve our community. Tell others and rally behind it. And as I close, all I want you to know is this. Friends, my prayer is that we would be courageous servants that are filled with compassion, ready to act, that we are confident that Jesus' presence is with us and we have everything we need to care for the, the, the needs of others in our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. God, these are the moments where silence needs to speak loudly. Speak to our hearts through your spirit. Let your word be true and every man be a lie. Let our thoughts, even the wrestles that we have, let, let us surrender them to you, Father. Father, I know that the enemy is going to try to kill, sin, and destroy. I've already seen the spiritual warfare that is happening in the life of this church. And Father, we know that you are present, guiding us through it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.